Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Okay, think about how sometimes it's awkward to be in that fitting room. And you're trying on different outfits, trying to decide what you want to keep, what you want to get rid of. And sometimes we're spiritually in the fitting room and we've got like this old, these old outfits that we've worn before. And we've got these old, by the way, the air conditioner's out. We've got these old outfits that we've worn before. We've got these old parts of our life. And we know God is calling us into something else, into something better, into a new set of spiritual clothes, so to speak, into a new life. But we can't decide which we want. Have you ever, like, your mom's given you, like, a certain amount of money? It's like, I'm giving you 40 bucks. You can buy a pair of, well, you can buy, like, one leg of a jean, I guess, for 40. I don't know. Uh, I'm giving you 40 bucks and buy a pair of jeans. You've got to decide between two pairs of jeans, and it's tough. Like, guys, we're just pretty decisive, but I know, like, some of us are, do I want this pair, do I want this pair? And some of you, spiritually, you're being pulled, and you're being tugged in two different directions. Some of you have been coming to church for a couple months here now, and you've been, like, like enjoying the Jesus thing, and you've been enjoying, like, kind of getting to know more about God, and you kind of feel God pulling you, but then you're also, like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to commit, so we get caught, like, in this back and forth. We get caught in this indecisiveness in our like spiritual fitting room. But thankfully, the Bible talks about this issue. By the way, even I, I've been in church my whole life, but I'll remember when I, I remember when I was a teenager, even when I was in, in, college, in college, there was this tug of war going on in my life because I was, said I was a Christian when I was five years old. But the reality is for a lot of my childhood and a lot of my teenage life, I was a Christian, but like I was just kind of like, it wasn't my faith, it was kind of like my parents' faith. And as I was growing up, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But, like, like, like the world was pulling me this way, and, you know, I, I could feel God calling me this way. And it took a long time, it took a long time to respond to God's call. And some of you are kind of, like, pulled between those two lives. You ever feel like that? You're pulled between these two lives. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this. This tension is nothing new. And when we're talking about being in our spiritual fitting room where God is, like, God is working on us and he's changing us, um, it's really interesting because the Bible uses a metaphor of clothing. I know it's hot in here, guys. Maybe we, never mind. Um, I'm not going to go there. My, my issue tonight is I have no filter. Um, but Ephesians chapter 4, um, verses 17 through 24 is kind of what we want to read and think about. So it, you just kind of read it off the screens, read it in your Bible, read it along with me. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as it is to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by sin, deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's this analogy, and, and we're going to look at it in more detail here first. But if you look at verse 22, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your old way of life, to put off your old self. So that's the first thing we're going to learn is that God is calling us, when we're in this tension, to put off or take off the old. Um, 
I was going to put a picture of Luke Bryan and play his, like, stripping it down song, but I was told that'd be inappropriate. Um, But we're supposed to take off the old portions of our life, the old part of our life. If you look at um, this, this word here, I've got... Um, underlined, highlighted, put off. You may, if you're a highlighter like me, you may want to do that in your Bible because this put off word, I've, I'm getting real bad at pronouncing my Greek, but this this word for put off, it's apotitheme. And what this means is to lay aside as in an old garment. So think about being in the fitting room and you're like, this does not fit me. This is not the, you know, this pair of jeans is, is, is tight in all the wrong places and loose in all the wrong places. Like, this is not the pair of jeans, so I'm going to set it aside. So what it says is, with our old life, the old person you used to be before you met Christ, you're supposed to set it aside. So what, what is this old life, and why is, it, why is it so important that we set it aside? If you look back a few verses in, in this chapter, the verses that we read, it tells you what the old life is. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And it tells you about these, about these things. It says in verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's due them due to the hardening of their hearts. Before you met Jesus and before you put your faith in Jesus, by the way, if you're not a Christian tonight, this is kind of like maybe I guess you could say a commercial or like a preview of Christianity if you're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, this is a reality of what and who you are. It says that you, you were unresponsive towards Jesus and you were ignorant, not being, meaning you were stupid. It just means you didn't know about the things of God. That was the old you. It said your heart was hard. It said due to the hardening of your heart, your heart was hardened against God. If you keep reading in verse 19, it says, Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as, to in, as, is, as in to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Your old self and the way the world is, hey, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. If it satisfies that lust or that desire you have, do it. If you want to look at that thing on the computer, look at it. If you want to do that with your girlfriend, do it. If you want to say that to your parents, do it. Whatever makes you feel better, whatever you feel like you should do, do it. That was the old you. And that's what God is telling you to put off. What also is interesting about this is, as as it says in verse 22, it says, put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. If you look up this word in in the Greek, when it says it's being corrupted, it means it's continually on a compounding basis being corrupted. Have you had, have you had to do this in math class where you learn like exponents and you learn all that fun stuff? And then it gets even more ridiculous because they're throwing log and sin. And that's why I know math is of the devil because there's sin in math. You got your log, you got your But um, you, you know when you do exponents, it means something is continually multiplying. What is that other thing? You can tell how long I've been out of math where it's like something times something times something times something times something. No, it's like with an exclamation point. You know what I'm talking about? Factorial. Damon, you are smart. Yeah, the factorial. So it's something that's continually compounding. Factorial is exponents. What this means is your life of sin, the older you get and the longer you live, it's exponentially getting worse and worse. But think about it. When you were a kid, when you were a kid, what kind of trouble did you get in? Maybe you lied to your parents. Maybe you stole a cookie from the cookie jar, right? But then when you were in middle school, what kind of trouble did you get in? 
you know, statistics say that by the time, um, actually by the time they're of the age of nine, most, the majority of, that's the average age in the U.S. to be exposed to pornography. So, isn't that crazy, by the way? So, so when you get to middle school, there's, you, you have the, you know, you may have been exposed to pornography or you may have had something else going on in your life. So, you see, sin is getting worse and worse. And then when you're in high school, you have the ability to go to these parties and you have the ability to do this and you have the ability to do that. So, it gets worse. And then in college, it's like a free-for-all. So you see, sin kind of gets exponentially worse. So our, like, we're, our old self is continually getting worse and worse and worse. And that's why God says that we're supposed to lay it aside. Like you think, and this is sometimes the mindset. It's like, once I get out of high school and I get in college, I'll be serious about God. But I just want to kind of party and I want to have fun. I want to enjoy what there is to enjoy in high school. Do you realize you're getting more and more corrupted and, and the, the payment and the consequences for sin here on earth are getting worse and worse and worse and worse? Why is it that we have such a hard time setting it aside? Maybe you saw in my Simply Redneck outfit. That was actually from my house because <laughs> I am a redneck, I guess. But I've got this Bass Pro Shop shirt, and it's like falling apart. April probably thinks I should get rid of it, but you know why I don't want to get rid of it? It's just one of those shirts that it's just like so comfortable, and it's so worn in. And I know if the whole world falls apart, I'll have that shirt, and I can put that shirt on, and I can look, you know, sit on my couch, and I can watch Jack Bauer, and everything's going to be okay. Because my shirt is so comfy. And for us, our old life, the things that we know we should get rid of but we don't get rid of, it's like that old shirt and we're like, because we're, it's so familiar to us, that girl that we've blocked her number a couple times and then we unblock it and you block it and then unblock it because we know she's bad news, but she's familiar to us. It's like that old shirt. That guy's like that old shirt. You just, you, you, you just keep going back and keep going because it's familiar. God says we're supposed to take off the old. The second thing is, our, our minds need to be renewed or they need to be made new. I think the mind is incredible. But what this is talking about, I'm trying not to nerd out too much on the Greek, but there's a lot here. Uh, when it says to be made new in the attitude of our minds, it's, it's, it, this is not a command. This is an infinitive. We went from math to, to grammar, I'm sorry. But this is an infinitive. So it doesn't say that you're supposed to make your minds new. What it says is this is the process going on in your life. You're in the fitting room, and God is making your mind new. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and you say, Jesus, save me, God starts a work in your mind and in your heart, and he's regenerating you. He's making you a new person. He's changing the way you think. It says, be made, be made new in the attitude of your mind. But here's the problem. God is doing this, but we don't always recognize it. God is changing the way you think. God is pulling you closer to him. But sometimes we fight against it. We don't embrace it. We don't recognize it because we want the familiar and we want the old. We're afraid of where God may pull us. We're afraid of what God may take us. We're afraid that God's going to ask us and, or tell us to make it right with that person. Or we're afraid God's going to tell us to break up with that person. We're afraid God's going to tell us to give up that sin that we like. So we just, we're kind of, we're kind of caught. And we're, we're afraid to really recognize what God's, what God's doing in our life. The question is, are you going to let God do that? You don't have a choice. God's going to do it, but are you going to recognize that? Are you going to embrace what God's doing in your life? So we're supposed to take off the old. We're supposed to let God embrace that God's renewing our mind. And here's the new part. We're supposed to put on the new. This is a cool word, too. This word, NDO, that's an easy one to pronounce for put on. This is what the word means. It means to sink into clothing. Any of y'all got a pair of, like, Carhartts or bib overalls? Nobody? Okay. I'm disappointed in you guys. Um, 
I've got a pair of bib overalls that I use when I hunt. And when I get in, I just kind of sink into them. I put my legs in them, I pull it up, I put my buckles on, and I'm good to go. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like sinking into this new outfit, sinking into these new clothes. What, God, what this telling you is you got to put on the new person. It says put on the new self. Why is it so important to put on the new self? Well, it gives you a couple reasons. First, it says um, that you're created to be like God. Wow. Look to the person next to you and say, wow. Look to the person the other side and say it upside down. No, mom. Wow, upside down is mom. Okay, um, but um, isn't that incredible? It says the new you, the, the you that Jesus died, bought, paid for on the cross, is you, you're being made to be like God, to be like Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to become God. If someone says that, tell them they're smoking crack. But it doesn't mean you're becoming God. It means you're becoming like God in the attitude of your minds. You and God are in sync. Another interesting thing is it means that you're in true righteousness, so you're living a life of truth. You're not pinning your hopes on people that are going to let you down. You're pinning your hope on a God who's never going to let you down. And then it says it leads you to holiness. It leads you to the right way to live. And you may say, Matt, that's great. You know, okay, I'll try to put on my new self, but I don't know what that means, but let's get out of here. Let's go home. What does it mean? I spent, I gave, I budgeted a little extra time because it's really interesting. God gives us some examples of what it means to put on the new person. He actually gives us nine. So I'm going to give them to you. I want you to write them down and think about it tonight. How do we put on the new person? What do we do to put on the new person? The first thing we do is we trade lies for truth. This is trading. This is exchanging clothes. You're probably too young to remember this, but my generation was so impacted by this because we had a president when I was, when I was a teenager that got in front of the world, got in front of the country, and he lied right to our face. He was accused of having an affair with a, with a woman, and he said, I did not have relations with that woman. And a couple weeks later, it turns out he lied. And you know what he said? He, 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 and did he ever, like, say he was sorry for lying? No, he was pretty much like, well, yeah, I got caught, you know, but it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. So we have a president that got away with lying to the country. So now all of a sudden, no, people think lying is no big deal. People think that telling an untruth is no big deal. But what does it say? If, if you keep looking down here, it says in, in verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. That means when you come to church, somebody asks you how you're doing. And you're not fine, but you say fine. That's falsehood. We're supposed to put it off. It says we're supposed to. And this is actually written in the context of a local church. So we're supposed to speak truthfully to each other. It's okay to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to not be okay and say you're okay. That was a lot. Maybe that was kind of hard to understand. It's okay to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to say you're okay if you're not okay. We should speak truthfully to each other. Next thing, we should trade rage for self-control. Some of you are like the Hulk. As soon as somebody... you burns your biscuits a little bit as soon as somebody pokes you or prods you, your little brother, your little sister, your parents know how to push your buttons to get you to just blow your top, and you turn into the Hulk. But what does this say? It says in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, on, on your, while you're angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. First off, it's interesting. If you really look at this verse, what you'll learn is it's not a sin to be angry. Too often we think it's a sin to be angry. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to be angry and out of control. It's a sin to live on your anger. It destroys you. It destroys other people. 
It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So, by the way, sometimes Christians should be more angry. Like the fact that your generation, a third of your generation has been aborted, that's something to be angry about. That's something to have controlled anger about and fight to change that. The fact that, that, that our city is being overrun by drugs, that's something to be angry about. We should be angry enough to change it. But should we let it affect the way we are and turn us into mean people and turn us into hateful people? No, we should dwell on who we are in Christ. But we should trade rage for self-control. We should control our anger. Next thing it says, you just keep coming down here, trade taking for giving. This one's rough. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. You say, Matt, I don't cheat. I don't steal. That math homework you turned in this week, what about that? What about that? Those answers that you turned in that you said were yours, what, a, what about that? I may just set this over here, and if you want to come pick that up later, I'll let you deal with that. Um, the next one, we should trade hating for helping. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The new unwholesome talk, the new way to tear people down is not necessarily with words. Now it's with thumbs. It's with a screen. It's with subtweeting and all that fun stuff, right? So what if, what if we get a little liberal here and we change the wording around of this verse and it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your phones. How would that change the way we live? but only what is helpful for building others up. I dare you tonight, scroll through the, the text that you've sent, scroll through the messages that you've sent, and what percentage of those are building others up? What percentage of those are tearing others down? We trade hating or for helping. Next is we trade grieving the Spirit for following the Spirit. It says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You realize that when you withhold your fellowship from somebody, it says that you're grieving, you're making sad the Holy Spirit. That makes me sad that the Holy Spirit's sad because of the way I live. But what's the flip side of that? It says to have compassion and to be kind, and to forgive. I have this picture of the street here. There's this guy laying in the middle of the street. Nobody's, there's one lady. She's like looking, but you can see the look on her face. She's like, I don't got time for it. Ain't nobody got time for that, you know? Like, here's the issue. We see people that are struggling. A, we don't notice because we're so busy. We're on our phones. We're talking to other people. We're so busy getting where we need to be. We don't notice people that need to experience compassion. And the second thing is, we don't act on it. The Holy Spirit exposes a need. The Holy Spirit says, hey, you know, she looks like she's struggling today. You should go talk to her. And we're like, eh, I don't think that. That'd be kind of weird. I don't think I want to do that, God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. The next one, um, trade raunchiness for righteousness. I don't know how else to put this. Uh, trade raunchiness for righteousness. Um, it, is, it is prom season, right? Um, so guys today are asking girls for prom with way more thought, way more money, and way more planning than most of your dads did when they asked your mom to marry them. Um, it's getting ridiculous. Um, this guy wrote prom in sunscreen, laid down, got a tan, 
and that's how he did his ask. I think that's a little ridiculous. I think that's creepy. Um, anyway, tis the season, right? It's spring. Love is blossoming. Sometimes it's dying, and sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. But what does the Bible say? Verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because it's improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. It says there must not be a hint of immorality. You know, our, the, the way we are now is we're like, okay, how far can I go without it being immorality? You know, like, 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 we did, we, like we didn't go all the way, so it's not necessarily immorality or, you know, we didn't really, you know, we, we didn't go this far, so it's not immorality. What does this say? It says there not, must not be a hint of sexual immorality. That means when people look at the relationship you have with someone of the opposite sex, they think they're doing it the right way. They're following God. There not, must not be a hint. Can we honestly say in relationships today, that there's not even a hint of sexual immorality. I mean, some, you know, some of the things that I see going on, I'm like, if this is going on in public, I can't imagine what's going on, like, you know, in the F-350 under the stars. I'm picking Jake's truck just for fun. You know, like, like there must not be a hint of sexual immorality. And then it goes on. If, the, if, this one, if that doesn't bug you, here, here's one that may. Nor there should there be foolish talk or coarse joking. You know what I think is sad is that I hear sometimes people joking about people who are gay, people who are transgender. Then we wonder why we don't have people that are that way come to our church and experience the healing and forgiving, forgiveness of God. Maybe it's because we're joking about them. Maybe we need to change the way we joke because the things that we're joking about really aren't that funny to God. Sorry, some of these are kind of hard. I apologize. But it says, don't do that, but it says, rather, thanksgiving. It says, rather, thanksgiving. Um, the next, I'm trying to rush through these. I have way too many of them. Trade empty words for God's word. Um, a lot of people are talking like this, but the one you need to listen to is God. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Go down to verse 8. It says, you were once in darkness, but now you're the light of, in the Lord. Live as children of right. Verse 10, find out what please. How do you find out what pleases the Lord? What's a good way to find out what pleases the Lord? It's not a trick question. There's one really, like, really good way. Avery? Yeah, like this book will tell you what pleases, pleases the Lord. I'm giving you some hard things maybe, but these are not my rules. These are God's rules. If somebody's trying to get you to follow their rules instead of God's rules, tell them, you know, tell them to go take a long walk off a short pier. You know, like, like you know, tell, that, we're about following God's rules, not other people's rules. Um, trade blinders for a flashlight. Uh, look at verse 11. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How sad is it sometimes, rather than being caught what's doing right, we're always the one that are getting caught for what's doing wrong. That means we need to trade out. We need to take off the old, put on the new. Then the final one, trade being filled with spirits for being filled by the Spirit. Wyatt, help me come up with that one. Um, it says in verse 15, be very careful how you live. Um, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Go down to verse 18. It says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When does, you know what I found to be interesting? You know what the average age of substance abuse is? The average age of the beginning of substance abuse? 12. Kate got it. Kate knows. 12 years old. So you know what that tells me? 
that party that you're invited to that you want to go to that you think, you know, I'm just going to, like, just to kind of blend in with everyone, I'll have, like, one beer. I can't tell you how many people started on a substance abuse roller coaster, downhill roller coaster, by just trying to fit in one time. If you think somebody just woke up and decided, hey, I think I want to inject a needle of heroin in my arm, people don't wake up and decide that. It's one bad decision after one bad decision after one bad decision. And, like, I'm 30 now, and I've got a lot of friends, you know, the people I went to school with. I don't know any of my friends who, as they look back on their 20s and they look back on their high school career, they say, you know, I wish I really would have got wasted a lot more than I did when I was in high school or when I was in college. Nobody says that. But you know what a lot of people my age are saying? They're saying, man, I wish I wouldn't have gone to that party and got drunk at that party and got in that trouble, or got in that trouble, or got in that trouble. I wish I wouldn't have started drinking because now I've turned into an angry drunk, and now my family's afraid of me because I can't kick this. We need to be filled by the Spirit. And I know I'm going to sound like an old guy when I say this. I hate it when I sound like an old guy, but I'm telling you, you are at one of the most important ages right now because some of the choices you make, could, you, you may live with for the rest of your life. You may live for the rest of your life. Don't let a foreign substance control your body. Let God control your body. And we, we could get into a debate about, you know, is it, is it wrong to, like, have one drink and not get drunk? But, you know, I'll tell you this. Nobody drinks to not get drunk. Um, yeah. Let's, let's be filled with the Spirit. So I, I hope these didn't sound too much like rules. But I hope you understand, when, I, when we're talking about taking off the old and putting all the new, we're not just talking about some theoretical thing. We're talking about a new way to live. And I'll tell you this, too. This new way to live is impossible for you to live if you're not depending on God to renew your mind and you're not depending on God to change you. This list that I just read, I can't follow it without Christ. I fail in many of these areas. But you know what I know? I know every time I fail, I can go back to God and I can experience forgiveness and he will continue to renew my mind and he will give me victory over this and I believe that. And he'll give you victory over that and I believe it. He'll give your parents victory over it. He'll give your brother and sister victory over it. There is victory in Jesus. There's victory in this new life if you will embrace it. So let's pray. Um, I'm gonna send you down to tag and I'm gonna try to do this fashion show with the middle schoolers. I don't know what they're gonna think about it. So, so let, let, let's pray together. Um, Father, you saved us. Uh, you saved us from this old life of, of self-destruction, of hurting ourselves and hurting others, of chasing things that we could never catch, and, and you've given us you. Uh, so, Father, I pray that we will put on the new life. Um, I pray that we'll put on what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.